Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. Today I'm joined by Lara Myers. Lara is a friend of mine from university and has experience with anorexia. Lara joins us today to discuss her experience of an eating disorder, recovery, and how she navigated differing desired body types and approaches to diet culture as she moved between cultures. Hello, Lara. Hello, Han. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's towards the end of my day now, whereas it's, it's quite early for you, right? Yeah, no, it's it's very funny, actually. I think literally like the last five episodes I've done, everyone's been in a different time zone, but you are the most different and the only person I spoke to that's been forward, actually. Everyone else has been behind me. Oh, really? Because you speak to people in the US, right? I've, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think they've been US and Canada that I've done. Yeah, almost a day. Sorry, I'm in, I'm in <laughs> Singapore right now. So it's like mm-hmm. now it's seven hours away from the UK, uh, but in the winter it gets to eight hours, so... It can be quite oh, wow. a, a big time difference, yeah, because of yeah, um, wow. summertime. Because Singapore is on the equator, so we don't uh-huh. really have, a, like, in this part of the world, there's no, like, winter and summer or anything. It's just, like, sun rises at 7 a.m., sets at, 10, sets at 7 p.m. every single day. Wow. Um, same temperature, like, 27 to 35 degrees all year And round. that doesn't change? Never. It's always it's always the same. So oh, my God. I, yes. It's such a culture shock for me as well. Um, yeah. Like being in November and it's still like summer. <laughs> oh, how amazing though. It feels like you're in a time machine, like time warp kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because I, I arrived in in um, in summer every time I've come here. And then I stay here for like a few months and it's always like uh-huh. it then becomes like well, it's supposed to be winter, but it's always just the same. So for me, it's just like wow. a never-ending summer kind of thing. That is, I mean, I do, that is amazing. But I do feel like seven o'clock for the sun to set is quite early. It is if you're used to UK summertime, yeah. Yeah, but then I'm only saying that because, you know, most recently it's been like 10 o'clock and then all of a sudden, boom, like the that um, evenings are closing in. And I had a friend out for dinner the other day and it was eight o'clock and it was pitch black dark. And I was like, what the hell? Like, how has yes. this happened so quickly? This is really, really not very nice. <laughs> yes, I hate it. Honestly, I, I prefer the British summer, but I would happily take a 7 p.m. sunset over a yeah. 2.30 p.m. sunset. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's consistent. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. exactly. Get a good routine in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining me. I'm super excited to chat to you because I know we've had conversations in the past at uni and stuff, but um, I think kind of what you're going to bring today is going to be really interesting to chat about. So I wondered if you wanted to start by kind of explaining to us your experience of your eating disorder, you know, how that came about for you. Yeah, for sure. So I'm I'm currently 23, just for context of like years and everything. Um, and when I was uh, 14, I developed um, an eating disorder for the first time, um, and I had anorexia nervosa, um, and uh, that was actually really devastating. And it, it lasted for quite a while, like the recovery stage, because obviously 
um, it's quite hard. To, it's very easy to fall into one of those things and then it takes a lifetime to get out of it. Um, but uh, I kind of ha- I was severely underweight for um, a few years. Um, and I, I know this can be triggering, so I apologize for it. But I, I just feel like it's, it makes sense for what we're going to talk about later, which is the long term hormonal impact of being underweight for a sustained period of time. Um, so I had anorexia between the ages of 14 and 19. Um, and um, and then I kind of was formally recovered um, from that. Um, then I had some experiences with kind of binge eating disorder later on when I was about 20 um, and then sort of stabilized um, in a better kind of mindset towards towards food. Um, and uh, I feel like now, especially after having a, a bit of a journey with uh, Embody Health London, which is um, actually I discovered through the Full of Beans podcast, um, <laughs> uh, I actually feel like I am in a way better stage and I feel like I'm I'm feeling really good about um, just like eating and body image and everything in general. But yeah, this is kind of a bit of my story with eating disorders, I guess. Yeah, yeah, amazing. So when you were kind of, going through the recovery process um, initially for, for anorexia, did you have specific treatment that helped you to get recovered? And I noticed you said formally recovered. So kind of what yeah. does like formally recovered means to you? Yeah, sure. So um, I was um, in treatment with a centre, like an eating disorder centre in, uh, in Milan. That's where I was living at the time. Um, and uh, I had uh, like the old the things you usually get which is like a, a doctor a dietitian um psychology psychiatrist everything um and uh, i was actually um asked to be inpatient um but um like i i was able to be outpatient um because my mum kind of i'm super grateful for my mum she she actually took um like some time off work um to mm. follow me and because the doctors saw really good results um they accepted me being outpatient which was incredible because I was able to kind of finish school and and do everything else that I was that was kind of enriching my life on the side mm. um because yeah so I didn't have to spend too much time in hospital which I'm super grateful for yeah amazing there must have been quite challenging for your family to I guess you know if you're in a position where inpatient care might have been required to to do that as an outpatient but also amazing that you had that support around you to to be able to do it in outpatient and like you say carry on engaging in things outside of the eating disorder because I think often that's so important you know to have all the other aspects of life intertwined into recovery as well because I think some people can go into inpatient and then come out and they're like well like you know I've, I've basically paused like a year of my life or whatever and how do I fit back into things now exactly I think some of the biggest steps forward in my recovery actually came from doing things um that gave me that feeling of there's something to to like live for in a way mm-hmm. um because uh, when I was in the depths of my anorexia I just really lived for like just like eating and waiting to eat and thinking about what I was going to eat and I really didn't care about anything else at all Um, and and whereas doing these things that gave me a lot of satisfaction um, really made me feel the buzz um, and that kind of really helped me kind of go along in that and that's why I know for example going to uni for a lot of people can be 
a bit of a struggle. For me personally, it was actually probably the best thing that could have happened for my recovery um, because going to uni was like a completely fresh start. Um, and I just, I was already kind of in the later stage of my recovery. Um, and uh, and that really allowed me to kind of meet people as a new person almost, as new people who didn't know me before and me during and, and everything else um, and kind of set myself up for a new life almost. And that was really, really good. Um, and when I say formally recover, recovered to go back to your question, um, that means weight restored and um, okay. sort of stable from a psychological perspective, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I really liked the fact that you used the term formally recovered. Um, and I, that's why I wanted to ask, because I thought that's what you were going to mean by that, like weight restored and, you know, psychologically stable. But I think sometimes there are still elements of eating disorders that can cling on. Um and I guess kind of, you know, moving on from that. So I'm kind of, did you come to uni when you were 19? If I got that right? Uh, I think, yes, I was, I just turned 19 when I. Yeah. Okay. Uni. So I guess, cause you mentioned about the binge eating disorder as well. Um, what was the sort of progression there for you from being, you know, formally recovered from the anorexia, then moving into the binge eating disorder? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I'd say my first year at uni, I was actually the probably like almost free from my eating disorder. I would say it was an amazing year. I had so much fun and I really felt that kind of buzz that I was talking about just now. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and then t- um, when I started my second year, I had some really big um, like issues in my personal life with my family and stuff that came up. Um, and I literally remember the day that I discovered these like issues and stuff. Um, Mm. I went home. I was completely on my own um, because I just moved into my new uni house uh, and I was the first one to be there. Um, And I just like binged um, so much. And um, and that was my first time binging. And it was such a straight correlation. You can you you can totally see it like how it's how it could have like been triggered. Um, and then from then on, I was I was not feeling great, um, and I started to kind of fall into this, um, like I guess habit. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, what I think is that with certain people, like people who have experienced eating disorders, it sort of is kind of a, a weakness that you have, and that it's just your way of expressing any kind of pain you feel throughout your life. Um, it's, I find it's quite easy to relapse because it's just your way of coping with pain. Um, and uh, I mean, personally, when I had anorexia, I guess I was feeling a lot better, um, like from an emotional point of view, even though obviously like I was in a terrible mental state and physical state. But it my my brain, I guess, knows that if I manage my food I'll I'll feel more in control and so I guess this just comes back um with other times that I've not been feeling great personally emotionally yeah yeah I mean then that sounds that sounds really tough I guess you know if you've been having a year or so of of feeling good and and feeling that buzz like you said to then 
I guess develop maybe new symptoms I can imagine was really difficult um but I wanted to ask you know I mean you might not have an answer for this but why do you think that you turned to the binging rather than going back to sort of the more the, the anorexic tendencies mm -hmm. so I think it has um kind of a relation to extreme hunger um so extreme hunger is as you know something that comes when you come back from a period of extreme restriction um and your body even though maybe like i was weight restored i was still weight restored within like the meal plan that i was given at, at the hospital you know um and then you sort of start giving yourself permission to to eat different foods to eat more foods um and your body just feels really hungry for all of them um and so I guess if you, without a relapse, so to speak, maybe extreme hunger would just be, you know, being really hungry and trying different foods and being okay with it. But with the kind of psychological distress that became more of a, of an issue because it was, it was self-harm as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I guess, you know, when you say it like that, it makes complete sense if you've been restricting your food for so long. Um, to then have you know the ability to eat the food and i can so i can imagine that kind of the the binge eating and i've heard quite a lot of people say actually that they've they've transitioned from you know anorexic tendencies to then into binge eating disorder and it just makes me think you know um you said about being like formally recovered and and that was majoritively you know the the weight restoration actually maybe there was mm -hmm. more psychological input that was that was needed or that is needed in treatment so that yeah. people aren't kind of leaning on food again as a as a coping mechanism yeah but actually being able to manage things differently yeah yeah exactly and i think personally um i haven't ever found this the psychologists at the hospitals that have treated me for anorexia very like understanding um okay. i i think there is i found um really good help later on um mm -hmm. but um i think within those structures that i've had experience with and i know this is different for for everywhere um the the methods they used i found were, were quite um sort of unhelpful in the way that i found that they were kind of putting me in boxes a lot um rather than listening to really what my issues were and also giving me strategies to mm. like concretely solve my issues rather than like asking me like my relationship with my father and stuff you know yeah <laughs> like as much as that can help I, I think especially with certain like things that are very practical in nature like eating um I've really benefited from more practical strategies and practical support as well mm. Yeah, I mean, I think you've knocked a massive nail on the head there in that a lot of the time, um, you know, in eating disorders, I think they are so complex that the kind of natural response is to, is to put somebody in a box. Um, and that can be really difficult when you've got, you know, everybody's got their own life going on and different comorbidities. And, you know, it's all a bit of a tangled mesh that needs unpicking. But to simply just be like, OK, well, you've got these eating disorder symptoms, so you're being put in that box, I think 
can miss a lot of things and and then make long-term recovery actually quite difficult and maybe that's why people do resort to other behaviors or maybe relapse with the same eating disorder because it's just not you've not got that concrete foundation to be able to to go through things and not resort to your original behaviors yeah 100 percent. yeah completely see that yeah yeah mm-hmm. so you mentioned about the process of weight restoration um mm-hmm. and i think I don't know why, but we've not really spoken much about weight restoration on the podcast, but I think it's something that everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people have to experience. And I think it can be an uncomfortable experience. So how did you find the process of of weight restoration in your recovery? Yeah, so um, this is actually the probably one of the biggest reasons why I wanted to to speak to you about this, because when I'm when I was experiencing this, I was desperately looking for, you know, people talking about it because you feel so alone in these struggles yeah um but there's a massive community of people like in early stage recovery um and there's a massive community of people who are like recovered and like fine (laughs) but then there's people who are like going through the struggles of the like later stages I I find it quite hard to to you know uh find people talking about it so I, I thought maybe someone would benefit from this um but yeah I think for my weight restoration um in the I mean I guess in the earlier stages, I actually found it really um, good. Um, I think there was a kind of a switch that turned towards that like first year of uni um, where I discovered um, I was allowed to do sports again, um, which was something that I was kind of uh, stopped from doing for a long time. Um, And I started swimming um, again, which I was, I actually used to swim a lot when I was younger. Um, and I would swim for the pleasure of swimming. Um, and then I started, I remember one night I was like, just like falling asleep. And then I felt my bicep and I was like, what? Like, I have a bicep. <laughs> what is this? <laughs> um, and, um, and I actually, I don't know if I can say this, but I, I used to like touch my body and feel very stressed about it being like really really underweight um because i think something that maybe someone like people who haven't experienced it don't realize is that sometimes when you're really underweight you you don't actually care about what you look like and i was actually quite stressed out about being so underweight but it was just the fear of food and gaining weight that was the issue it wasn't like the fact that i didn't realize that i was underweight or anything you know mm-hmm. um so that was kind of a, a a nice thing that like i was touching my body and i was like wow i have muscles um and so i started having a lot of fun you know um kind of and, and i felt like a lot more confident in being able to eat and being able to you know perform and and build muscle from it um and that's when i also joined um warwick barber which is where yes. <laughs> shout, shout out to warwick barber um and then i started powerlifting and i i thought that was really really helpful because as well your your going to the gym and you're fueling yourself but it's for performance rather than from you know for sorry for performance rather than for looking like a certain way um Mm -hmm. but then um towards um like I guess when I when then I had my binge eating um even though I was never I never gained like that much weight um through that but um, I started having really, really bad like body image issues um, mm-hmm. so much that I started um, kind of compulsively body checking all the time. Um, actually, um, 
like I would every time there was a reflective surface like even a car or you know a window from a like a shop window or something I would like check my body um and that was it became like such an obsession and um and I would just think about it all the time um and I would have like really really bad thoughts about my body all the time um and um and I think that became actually a lot worse for me um when I started um visiting Singapore for like longer periods of time because um my husband Sean is actually Singaporean and um so I've been staying with him quite a bit over here um and um and that's really kind of affected my view of myself a lot um for I guess reasons that I wouldn't have expected which is that mm. most people in Singapore are just smaller compared mm. to people in Europe and I mean that not just in the terms of like um body fat percentage I guess um but also like my boobs are bigger my butt is bigger but also my um height is different mm. to like the general population like I'm I'm a bit like quite a bit taller than like the average person here my hands are bigger my feet are bigger um mm. and for someone that has like I guess had a history with anorexia where it's like you just want to be small or like mm. nothing um even just like not being able to find like shoes because like I have a like mm. my feet are a size like 8 40 42 8 kind of thing um so I mean they're on the bigger size of feet but <laughs> when you when you then come here and like the, the the biggest size of shoes you can get is like a like a 38 which is what like a five um you know I just started really really stressing out about it and like really being conscious about just taking up space um which which has been really really stressful and I had to work a lot on kind of being able to to deal with it emotionally and, and psychologically and just personally yeah 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 I mean I think that does sound really difficult because you've not only got that battle of moving from you know a smaller body into a, a bigger body with with you know natural weight restoration from anorexia but you've also then been put into a population that is smaller than you so I can imagine the sort of I guess push and pull there of you know what's normal for me isn't normal for everybody else but that's really difficult and you know I guess in a it kind of matches similarly to diet culture in that when you're in eating disorder recovery literally everything that you're told to do goes against what everybody outside is doing and I think that can be quite challenging um but just before we sort of talk about the kind of move into different cultures because I think that's a really fascinating thing to touch on I wanted to ask you a bit more about the like initial weight restoration so um I guess you know I think when you're underweight with with anorexia there is that expectation that you need to restore to a certain weight um but you know how how you said you didn't gain much weight but was that a difficult process kind of gaining that weight back um or was it something that just kind of you know you felt like you had to do and just got on with it um so you mean from like being at my lowest weight I'd say to, mm -hmm. to like weight restoration so actually that's so I meant I didn't gain much weight when I been when I was binging but I actually oh, right, gained okay. like yeah um I actually had to gain like double my body weight <laughs> when wow. I was um yeah so 
um, it was it was definitely stressful, um, and um, especially because when you're doing it and you're like being followed by doctors, which is the, what you should do, mm. you do you get reminded about the fact mm. that you're gaining like. 0.1 kilo or like losing mm. 0.1 kilo and it's like it's a whole thing um and so I was very conscious of every gram I I gained essentially um but um um I would say because as I start I gained more and more weight my my life was also taking up more and more space um mm. I think that really helped personally accept that. Um, and um, and that's just, I, I, I was lucky that that happened to me, I guess, mm. because I was able to almost distract myself or just find joy in other things. Um, because, uh, yeah, as I was, I was, I was like progressing through my recovery, things also got kind of better outside. Um, mm. But I would say, especially in the, in the lower part, that's when it was really, really hard because mm. um, also, yeah, it, it just, it just, you're at a stage where you haven't gained weight yet and, and then you start having to gain weight and then it's, uh, yeah, it, it was just a very hard um, thing to, to accept mentally. And I would, I would journal every single day um, mm-hmm. and I would, and I would tell myself um, the start of the journal is always, I'm really stressed because I gained like, like I don't know 100 grams or something and then at the end it was like I want to gain more like I'm very happy I I, like I know this is important for me and and that so like there's that contrast of you know knowing that that's the good thing for you but also like really having this strong fear of of numbers because for me it was more the fear of numbers than the like Mm. the actual like weight on my body per se yeah yeah I suppose the more weight you gain the more you get closer to that recovery so it's almost you you get more like you said more life rather than the eating disorder and I guess the eating disorder reduces a little bit as you get more into recovery so I think that makes sense but also um I think one thing that's not spoken about as much you know weight recovery I don't think is spoken about a lot anyway but I think weight like recovery in a weight restored body is really not mm-hmm. spoken about so you know me personally my weight was never diagnosably underweight but it was for my body um mm-hmm. and I found that incredibly challenging because I had friends that weighed less than me that weren't having to weight restore but I was having to weight restore um so I just wondered if you had any experience of that and like if that felt different to what it felt when you were you know underweight maybe yeah for sure I think um definitely the weight that I was considered weight restored was towards the lower like range Mm of I guess normal range BMI um and my body actually needed a couple more like 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 at least 10 more kilos on it you know to be um like you know like at its happy weight um and um and so definitely my body after I was weight restored like formally started like still becoming more and more and more and I was um until I was like more comfortable kind of around a certain 
set point, I'd say, even though I still mm. don't really know what my set point is because, you know, it's, <laughs> it's really hard to kind of know these things and understand my, like, mm. I feel like I haven't been the same, um, like, dress size in, like, two months apart, which is, like, really stressful because I have to buy clothes all the time, mm. <laughs> which I don't want to do. Um, but, um, but, yeah, I think that was probably harder um is even like realizing that actually your body doesn't want to be at this like mm-hmm. 18 like bmi you know um and it's and actually like having a a bit more you know body fat and 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 just weight on you is is actually a lot more healthy um and i've realized this as well in my kind of internal health like with my hormones especially like mm-hmm. towards the later stage like in the past year and a half I've had to struggle a lot with my hormonal health um and um and even when I was formally weight restored as in like a normal weight BMI as as is defined I guess um, <laughs> normal my yes exactly uh, <laughs> but my uh, <laughs> my uh, my internal hormones and and just my body from the inside was actually still not well um mm. so even after even after having restored my weight, I didn't have a natural period um, for about three years. Um, wow. So um, I was just given uh, the birth control pill and just told, I was told that I guess my period just wasn't coming back for a bit. Um, so I just had to take hormonal, um, you know, supplements. Um, and uh, and then I stopped my pill like a couple times to see if my period is going to come back and it just didn't um and uh, and so that was a clear indicator that you know something was still not right internally um and then to, um I started having um like some tip symptoms of um um like just hormonal imbalances towards like like in the past like two years um so my my weight was really um kind of volatile um even though i was sort of eating about the same exercising about the same um but i i just gained like a lot of weight really quickly um and um and there was no like explanation for it but i was kind of um blaming myself for being like i thought i was telling myself you know you're being um greedy and lazy because that's what my brain was telling me you know like clearly um if you're gaining weight you must be you know doing something wrong and i think that's something that comes a lot as well from being in this like fitness community where there's a lot of like science explained stuff which is of course better than the non-scientific stuff but it doesn't apply to everyone um and uh i was you know i thought well it's calories in versus calories out so if you're gaining weight you know clearly you know um you're just eating too much or or exercising too little um and then um thanks to you honestly i took the courage to um to reach out to support um and i i'm so grateful for that because i was able to actually look into my blood results and and look into my hormones and stuff and um my i found that i had like very high levels of prolactin um which is a hormone this is what was told to me by the way as in like 
I'm not an expert in this. I'm just telling you like what I've learned for myself from sure. my endocrinologist. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this was all said by an endocrinologist, but um, disclaimers, mm-hmm. as in, I don't know too much about this. Um, <laughs> but I had like exceptionally high levels of prolactin, which is, um, from what I understand, like a stress hormone um, that usually mm-hmm. is very high in people with, well, like um, um, breastfeeding. Um mm-hmm or in people who have like cancer at like the pituitary gland, pituitary gland. So I was really pituitary, scared yeah. about that, but apparently, yes. Yeah. Um, but apparently it was just because I was having um, like a lot of long-term stress um, mm. due to my like constant restriction um, because I was, you know, feeling like I should lose weight. Um, and uh, and then my thyroid ho- hormones were also um, unbalanced. So I was having the symptoms of hypothyroidism, even though my thyroid was actually fine. So I did a mm-hmm. scan before, a thyroid, like, um, what's it called? You know, when you do a thyroid scan um, mm-hmm. with another endocrinologist who wasn't specialized in post-eating disorders. Um, and, uh, and they were like, yeah, it's fine. Uh, I don't know why, you know. Because uh, it looks fine. Because usually when you have thyroid imbalances, you can kind of see it from a scan. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, when I did my blood tests and and I analysed them with the with the um, you know eating disorder specialist endocrinologist, um, they saw that my my thyroid hormones were like putting me in this like hypothyroidism st- state. Um, but that was due to my body um, kind of feeling still in a state of having to preserve all the energy that it could um and uh and having to kind of prepare for another time of um extreme restriction um and that was also due to the fact that i was still giving even though i was eating like calorically maybe a good amount i was still giving signals of restriction um by for example um eating maybe if i eat eat more one if i ate more one day i would then eat a lot less the next day uh, to kind of make up for it um or i would sort of intermittent fast um not like doing it because i wanted to intermittent fast but more i would just like skip breakfast or like eat just later in the day um and actually for women what i've learned is that skipping breakfast and um especially for women who have had histories of like restriction signals to the body that you you are in a, in a deprived state um and that you are not safe um and so i was told to always have some food when i woke up especially carbs um because apparently carbs are really good for this um so even if i'm not like very hungry in the morning i'll try to eat like a biscuit or like some crackers or something and then have breakfast a bit later if i really don't feel like eating in the morning like in the like right when i wake up but um yeah like things like this which were continuously signaling to my body that it had reason to be scared I'd say mm. um and um and so these were kind of the things that made my my uh journey really really hard um and and really made me think back as well to that prolonged period of of being underweight and and because that's the reason why I'm struggling with the things that I'm struggling with now mm. um because my body has been for half of my life in a really you know dangerous situation um but yeah so this is and I feel like these things as well I was I I didn't find anyone talking about this kind of stuff um so I felt like it was quite important to share that 
these long these long term um, effects of being in a restricted state or being severely underweight can really like affect you even like a few years after you think you're okay um, because your body still is in that recovery process. I mean, I just can't say how grateful I am to you for sharing that, because I think one thing I've definitely found personally, and, and I'm sure a lot of people will relate to this, is eating disorders feel so in the moment. Like I, I've always said I can't, I can never really think about the future because I feel so like in this present moment, not in the present moment as in like, oh, I'm connected to now, but it's just like, <laughs> um, I wish that's how it was. Um, it's. <laughs> It's very much like what this behavior I'm doing right now. And I think you really struggle to think about the long term impact of that. And, you know, I've always when I've been in recovery, been like, OK, each mouthful. Yes, it feels really short term right now, but it's actually going to really promote long term recovery or each choice I make. But I think often you know my mum would say to me oh but what about your reproductive health and stuff like that? And it's really difficult to think about that long term when your focus right now is just engaging in the eating disorder um but i think you're so right that we we don't hear about the hormonal impacts enough and the long-term effects you know yes when you go to the doctor they say to you oh your bone health is going to suffer and stuff but i think actually hearing it from you and that it's what you're going through right now hits home so much in terms of you know this is actually somebody that's living through this after an eating disorder um and it's it's so much more real than just somebody saying oh this could potentially happen to you because i don't think it's it's not shocking enough and i say that in like I, i'm trying to be really compassionate now i say it to you because i don't i don't want to be like you know i don't know what but um i'm just really grateful that you've shared your experience i'm also really sad for you that that's what's going on but also really grateful as well that you were able to reach out for the right support and to understand what's going on um is there kind of things that you can do now to kind of fix it i guess or is that something that is kind of permanent now well uh <laughs> i guess um that's my what i hope and pray for every day um mm -hmm. but so when I first went to the endocrinologist, I was hoping so much that they would just diagnose me with hypothyroidism and they would give me a pill and mm. that would be it. Um, but the answer was, you need to eat more. You need to like stress out less, walk around less. <laughs> I also like, I, I walk a lot and, and I think I do this because I, I really love walking but it does kind of put me, my body in a stress in a, in a stress situation as well. So part of the advice was just chill out um, and um, and and eat more regularly, um, more in the kind of earlier part of the day, which is something that I wasn't doing. Um, but um, that's something that's really really important as well, especially for women um, who have kind of these hormonal um, issues. Um, so and then just wait i guess um and um and i think it's just a matter of i guess time but at least i know i'm doing well like everything that i can to 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 support my my body's health um and um and actually when i started 
doing this and I started, you know, eating more in the morning and, and eating more carbs, um, even though I was already eating carbs and I was already eating like calorically like a good amount. Um, I remember the first because I was I was also going to the gym a lot. Um, I mean, I still go to the gym, but like uh, I was kind of strength training when I started doing this. And I remember I got like a five rep increase on my one on my like um amrap which is like as many reps as possible mm-hmm. like like that easily and that and I just had like such everything in the gym was so much easier even though I was eating the same like calories and like the same things I was just as in the same you know I was not like just like eating so much more I was just eating more regularly more in the morning and more carbs and my body was responding so well. And that made me feel a lot more confident as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, alongside this, I think what is really helping me is the fact that I have also found good support in the sense of like the things that um, what I was talking about earlier with like um, therapy that wasn't helpful. Whereas now I, I feel like I've had the help that like the concrete help of, you know, mm-hmm. being able to not care so much about what I look like and not so not put so much value on what I um what I eat and how people see me in like what I eat because I was really struggling with like performance eating I guess which was like when I was with other people I would like have to kind of show that I was eating like little or like healthily because I want because I knew I was like in a bigger body compared to the people here in Singapore and I had to show that it wasn't because I was eating a lot um and um and so i've i've really like managed to kind of pay less attention to that um i've stopped body checking every time i see a reflective surface um and that's been really helpful in accepting the fact that this is going to be a long process um mm-hmm. because i know i'm not going to be like complete completely hormonally fine in like 2 weeks but i also know that i'm going towards it and i also know that i'm also fine in the body that i am now um, and I don't mind, you know, being in this like phase that could last two months, could last two years, could last forever. Um, and at the same time, I actually did some hormonal tests um, three months after I started doing th- things differently. Um, and my prolactin levels were within range again, which wow. was incredible because uh-huh. it just it, it just was so encouraging to see some results. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and my period is also back if like, Yay! I get it like once every like 50 days, which is not mm-hmm. probably not what it should be. Um, <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't come and sometimes it comes every 20 days, but, um, at least it's back. Um, and yeah. I know that things are getting like better. Um, and yeah. that's, that's incredible for me. And I'm, I'm super, super happy about, about it. And just to say, just to touch upon what you were saying about kind of, um, not realizing the long-term impacts when you're in the depths of an eating disorder. Um, like people saying, you know, you're going to, your fertility is going to be impacted and stuff. Honestly, personally for me, when I was in the depths of my eating disorder, I couldn't care less. Like, cause yeah. in that moment, you're like, you don't care, right? You, you're stressing out about like half a teaspoon of yogurt. <laughs> what do you care about? you like having a kid. And also, when you're in such a deprived state, I didn't even have strong emotions for friends and family. You know, 
I, I didn't have the energy to, to feel like love towards my parents or my siblings, you know, let alone thinking about having a baby one day. Like, I don't care, you know, um, yeah. but and I think personally, actually knowing that your weight is going to be all over the place would have probably been a, 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 a bit of a bigger incentive for me to, to, to you know, recover properly, because um, that was what was meant a lot to me at the time you know my weight was like the biggest concern and so if I probably heard someone say you're not going to know what your weight is going to be like you're going to eat the same and your weight is going to increase by like 10 or 20 kilos randomly that's probably more would have been more impactful for me at the time and this is not to say that this is like to fear monger or anything because I know this is like I'm, I'm like this is a really serious thing and it's it's been really really kind of had a really big impact in my in my life and in my emotional kind of side but um, yeah, this is just to say that when you say it's really hard to convey these problems, especially to people who are in the depths of an eating disorder, because when you are in it, as you said, you're in the moment in the sense that you're just waiting for your next meal or you're just, you know, um, thinking about how to restrict or you're just thinking about how you ate and you're stressed about what you ate and stuff. So, you know. Um, you don't really think you don't really care about the long-term consequences but um, if I'd known earlier I would have probably just you know done everything a lot quicker but um, I couldn't have known. No exactly I mean and maybe hopefully someone listening to this conversation will hear this and and you know I think you're completely right in the in the fact that you know when you're in the depth of an eating disorder anything anybody tells you one you you I personally didn't have the care in the world or the energy to even listen to them. So it was yeah. like speaking to a brick wall. Um, but equally, it's it's just not something that you really care about. But I think ir irrespective of that, it's still so important to have these conversations because, you know, if it, even if it's a slight glimmer to somebody of, of why recovery is so important. And yes, it's, it's so difficult and it's not going to be as easy as, oh, so I listened to this episode and now I want to recover, you know yes you might get that initial buzz but it's not going to be that and there will be difficult days but I think holding on to the idea that you know it's it really is something to be taken seriously um and it can have you know it can have long-term effects then mm -hmm. um yeah I think it's so important yeah um I wanted to ask you, oh, I mean, firstly, I'm just so grateful for you for you sharing that. Um, and I'm also really happy to hear that things are moving a bit in a positive direction. Um, I think that is just amazing and, and shows how hard you're working on your recovery. Um, but I wanted to talk a bit more about kind of moving through different cultures. Um, and I guess, you know, it, it sounds to me as though you kind of haven't, settled into a particular body shape or size which sounds difficult in itself but also moving between different cultures and you mentioned about the um kind of performative eating and i think that's quite a common thing um whether it's in an eating disorder or not in kind of feeling like you have to prove yourself because you want people to you know you don't want someone to see you eating and think well then you can't have an eating disorder um mm -hmm. So how have you managed that kind of in the weight restoration process, I guess, and, and as well, you know, um, being in Singapore and eating with people that I guess the food will be completely different as well to maybe what you're yeah. really used to. 
Yeah. Um, so for the definitely for the food, it's been sometimes quite challenging, I'd say, um, mm. especially because I actually um, have uh, I really like the food, but I have kind of white person internal organs. So <laughs> after a while of taking this. So even though I like the spice and I like the, you know, all the flavors, I have to have like steamed broccoli and boiled potatoes as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but um, I think definitely that was a big thing as well, you know, like having the different foods and, and not knowing. Because I know like after having like eating disorders for like almost 10 years, you know exactly how many every macro and every calorie of every single food that is available in the supermarket you know um even if i try to forget it i just can't right but then the foods here like i don't know you know because they're new and i have no idea um and i guess that's good in the sense that i don't um know and i can just choose whatever i want but then i think about it a lot as well you know and it's it's especially towards the start it was like uh, i don't know if i should choose it choose this or not you know mm-hmm. um and then um and then definitely um, for the like eating habits as well. I think they just um, people here have like a lot a different kind of meal distribution compared to what we have in the UK or in in Italy for me because I'm half Italian. Um, so that was also something to get used to. Uh, people tend to have like um, a really early dinner and then they have a second dinner, like a full on second dinner, which they call supper. Um, and so um, that was also kind of interesting to to understand like how much to eat at each meal and stuff um mm. but um but yeah for the um, for kind of the, the cultural side I also found that people were a lot more um open to telling you that you look bigger <laughs> that you why are you eating that are you eating a lot um or I think maybe in Singapore um compared to the UK for example where there's been recently a big kind of push on awareness about mental health and and eating disorders and and all this kind of stuff um in in singapore i found that people are just less aware of it um and so um for example the first time i'd come to singapore i was 19 and i was just freshly you know in the in the normal bmi range (laughs) Um, and then when I came back here for the second time in 2021, obviously I was a lot different. And the first thing that many people told me was, wow, you gain weight, <laughs> which is like in, in those like literal terms, you know, mm-hmm. which is, you know, something that was really, really hard for me to to deal with. Um, and then and then, yeah, like every time I would eat something, I would then feel like I would have to show to people that I was I was this in this body not because I was like lazy and 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 greedy I was in this body because I was just meant to be like this and 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 it's the kind of conversation that's also quite hard to have with people um just because there's less awareness about how things can be um yeah and and I've actually found um that every time that I go back to like Europe or the UK my body image actually gets a lot better. Um, mm-hmm. And um, like, for example, I was I was in the UK um, up until uh, August and um, I felt like I was doing my kind of journey of 
self-love and everything and <laughs> and I really felt quite confident in my body um and then going back to Singapore um I was suddenly hit by really bad body image and I had to really work through all the process again of mm-hmm. trying to accept my body um just because when I'm in the UK I feel like I'm a lot more similar to people around me um whereas when I'm here I, I just feel quite like I stand out a lot um and and for someone who kind of has issues with that then that can become quite a I don't know stressful thing <laughs> yeah yeah well I think you know navigating weight restoration when your family is around consistently and people are around is hard enough um but then uh, yeah to go quite a long period of time and then maybe to be in a culture where commenting on your body and stuff is not um you know it's quite blunt by the sounds of it I can imagine that's quite difficult um so I guess just to sort of like round us up um after Mm -hmm. all this amazing stuff that you've told us I guess something I'd really like to leave the listeners with is what you found really useful for weight restoration because I think you've you know you've spoken so um beautifully about how your experience has been but how are there particular things that you've found helpful when you've been going through weight restoration okay um so one thing is like not weighing myself um Mm. which I know is kind of maybe cliche or whatever but um I was still weighing myself about one maybe daily for a bit Mm. (laughs) I stopped um and I tried and I weighed myself whenever I felt like I was very curious to know I was just gonna you know step on the scales and I I didn't wasn't gonna have any emotions about it and I was like "Mm, I'm just gonna check you know and then I would cry (laughs) so um not doing any of that anymore um and that's just you know really helpful because you know when you especially when I was in that mindset of like I'm just gonna check you know not gonna not gonna think about it Mm -hmm. um you know why you're doing it like you're actually you know um and and also maybe I would feel good about myself and I would do you know I actually feel good about myself today and I would just weigh myself and then I would feel terrible I would hate my body and everything and and now if if I don't weigh myself I just I know if I like my body that day, I would like my body. If I don't like it, then I'll just don't think about it, you know. Um, and then another thing is really consciously, constru- consciously try to um, buy so buy clothes that fit me, um, which is another thing that I was not doing, um, especially moving through so many different body shapes and sizes constantly. Like as I said, I don't think I've been the same clothes size for two months in a row um and um and I didn't want to buy clothes because for one I didn't want to be wasteful uh and also it's 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 just stressful to to go into shops and and buy clothes when you're kind of going through this but wearing clothes that make you feel tight uncomfortable and unflattering um is just not doing you any favors and it's it's making it worse um whereas buying clothes and thinking really thinking about it as well making it like a game also like find your personal style and stuff um you know or like find you know a new aesthetic or something um has been really really helpful in in kind of helping me feel comfortable and and feeling good about myself as well Mm -hmm. um and um and i know this when i when i started doing this it would not be easy at all and and i would and and also because another thing is just like not body checking and not thinking about 
um, my body and, and, and food and really trying not to think about it. Um, and, and then this sounds really stupid because it just, when, I, when people told me to do that, I was like, yeah, whatever. Um, but um, one thing that I learned from um, Elle at Embody Health London, which was really, really helpful, was um, kind of trying to distract yourself by saying random words when you're starting to think about your body. And when she told me that, I was like, again, I was like, you, you must be kidding. You know, what What the hell are you talking about? Um, but you get better at it. Um, so, for example, if I would start thinking about my, my body and how I was like, you know, not the shape or size I wanted to be, I would just say, um, like, and the sky is blue or and I'm going to do this today or like really start like distracting myself very intensely about something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wouldn't work for the longest time, but every single time it, I started believing in that other thing that I was distracting with myself with a little bit more. Um, and then honestly, now I'm at the stage, um, like a few months later, where I really very rarely think about my body, um, unless wow. it's a bad day. And then I think about my body a lot, but like um, these kind of things really helped me like just tricks of like distracting myself and stuff um Mm. really helped me in not thinking about my body so much um and and also another thing um is looking at yourself from an outside perspective um so kind of as if you were in a film um looking yourself as a as a person rather than looking yourself in the mirror um, and observing yourself as you're working, as you're studying, as you're walking around and really like almost romanticizing what you are and what you do. And I and that really helped me see so much more about myself than my body. Because when you think about other people, like when I think about you, for example, I don't think about the way you look. Like that's the like the really the last thing. If I have to like draw you and someone asks me to draw you, then I'll have to think about it, you know. Mm-hmm. But apart from that, I really won't think about it. But then, problem, I don't know, like, I, I, like, if you'd say that about me, when I think about myself, I always, like, I would think about, you know, my belly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, but that's just not the reality of how other people think about you. And, and so I think observing myself from an outsider's perspective and romanticizing what I did and like, wow, look, I'm such a boss lady, you know, doing all these, <laughs> like, things and you know reading this book romantically on a on a you know on the sofa on a Saturday afternoon um things like that um really helped me kind of identify more with the person rather than with the body Mm. um and I know this all sounds really stupid because when I was told to do these things the first time I was really like this does not make sense but I guess if anyone's listening and and they struggle with the same things just give it a shot and and be embarrassed I know it's embarrassing but like just <laughs> like bear it for a bit uh, mm-hmm. and to see where it takes you because for me it actually ended up being really helpful yeah I think they sound like brilliant ideas um I absolutely love the kind of romanticizing yourself I think that's fantastic because when you just said then um and this probably demonstrates it completely but when you said you know, when I think about you, as in when you think about Hannah, I was like, oh shit, what's she going to say? Um, as in like, what's she going <laughs> to describe about me? But then 
you know, you said, oh, I wasn't thinking about it. And when then you said, and then when I think about myself and I was like, well, you must be thinking about how, you know, like fantastic you are on Instagram and like bridging that gap between Singapore and the UK and all the travel that you've done. And like, I absolutely loved watching you go, like be so brave and go across the world. And then you said your belly. And I was like, what? <laughs> you are so much more than that. Um, so yeah, that just, that just completely demonstrates that. But honestly, Lara, this has been such a brilliant conversation with you I am so happy that we've done this um I mentioned your Instagram a bit there which I absolutely love all the is it do you pronounce it <laughs> is it shinglish singlish singlish yes okay so, uh yeah singlish is the is the like slang they speak in Singapore uh which mm -hmm. is really funny and I've been just trying to learn it and stuff and it's like yeah yeah just me trying to learn singlish slang yeah a bit, um funny I guess which is, I, I found so fascinating because, you know, I have not been to Singapore and I wouldn't have been exposed to that. But also I imagine a lot of people um, have moved from the UK to Singapore and they're also going through like a similar thing to you. So I can imagine it's so relatable. Um, but I know you also talk a lot about like your recovery and stuff like that. So um, where can people find you on social media? Yeah, so um, I have Instagram. Um, my Instagram is Larabella Myers, uh, which is my name and surname. And then I'm also on TikTok a lot. Um, mm -hmm. And my TikTok is Larabella Myers, which is my name and surname. So, um, yeah, it's <laughs> quite it easy to find me. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Lara. Um, all the best you with, so much, you know, recovery and everything. Um, and, yeah, thank you. It's been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate um you letting me speak about these things and just having a chat with you as well it's just been such a long time that we haven't caught up properly <laughs> uh we should definitely do this more often and um, yeah. we'll definitely have a chat over the weekend as well um and um and yeah and also i love full of beans i just want to have a little fangirl <laughs> moment I, I am a massive fan <laughs> I just listen to it all the time. And actually, the reason I, I reached out to you in the first place was because I, was, because I was on the train and I was just listening mm -hmm. to Full of Beans. And I was like, actually, maybe I could talk about this. Um, Hell yeah. Well, I'm really glad you did. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, but it's been really a pleasure. If you enjoyed listening today, you won't want to miss next week's episode. So be sure to subscribe. Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.